I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Professor Todd McGowan, who teaches theory and film at the University of Vermont. He is the author of many books, including Capitalism and Desire, The Psychic Cost of Free Markets, Universality and Identity Politics, the fictional Christopher Nolan, Enjoying What We Don't Have, The Political Project of Psychoanalysis, The Real Gaze, Film Theory After Lacan, and The Impossible David Lynch. On Sunday, January 23rd, Dr. McGowan will be joining us as part of our Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult series at Morbid Anatomy Museum online. He will be presenting The Psychic Violence of Alfred Hitchcock alongside Mary Wilde, who will be presenting Roman Polanski's apartment trilogy, Repulsion, Rosemary's Baby, and The Tenant. But first in the series, this Sunday, December 19th, we have another Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult event at Morbid Anatomy Museum online. We have Up Up, O Ye Gods, Hermeticism as a Path for Modern Seekers by Mitch Horowitz and Secrecy Exposed on the Necessity of Psychic Stigma and Dynamic Darkness in Occultism by Carl Abrahamson. For more information, you can visit our website, psychartcult.org, or visit Morbid Anatomy's website, morbidanatomy.org, and look at what's on for events December 19th and January 23rd. As with all Rendering Unconscious podcast episodes, there is a video accompanying this episode at YouTube. Just visit Trapart Films' YouTube channel, that's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film, at YouTube, or search for Rendering Unconscious podcast. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. Rendering Unconscious is also a book, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics and Poetry from Trapart Books 2019. For more information, you can visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T R A P A R T.net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa 23 Carl. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A-2-3-C-A-R-L. Your support is very appreciated. Thank you so much for supporting Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of my other creative endeavors. So what do you have to, Ty? What should we start with? Well, Vanessa, I'm I I just I'm in the middle of a little book, a very this very little book on uh, it's called something like enjoyment right and left. So it's an attempt to like map out what right wing and left wing enjoyment looks like. So that's what I, that's that's what I'm doing. And you know, in the midst of I'm 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 also teaching a class on Breaking Bad. So that was a that was a we had this influx of too many we had too many students basically and so the the dean asked certain people to teach an overload and so i i said i would do it and and i asked my two my twin boys are are eight they're, they're seniors in high school and i said what would a 
what would a senior in high school want to have a class on? And they're like, breaking bad, no question. So, so I did that. Uh, and that's, I don't know how that's going, but so those are the, those are the main things I'm up to. I'm sure it's really fun. I don't know, Vanessa. I think I missed, I, I kind of missed the, the, I missed the mark a little bit. So what I did was I thought I'd do it on breaking bad and ethics. And so I had, I, we're reading, like we started with, we started with Marx and Freud, but we didn't do enough of that. And then we did, we went to Kant, which was good and that was all fine. But then I did a lot of like, I did Peter Singer, Christine Korsgaard, these, this kind of different tradition of ethical philosophy. Now I'm doing Mar Martha Nussbaum and they're kind of hating it. And I'm sort of, Martha Nussbaum has this book called Anger and Forgiveness. And I don't think the point of the book was to turn me irate, but that was the, <laughs> that was the, the result. Like her, her whole point is basically like, don't be angry. It's not productive. And then she also says, you'll love this. Don't go into therapy because that focuses on the past. You need to just give up your anger and look to the future. And I just said, I said to the class, like, she's like, it's like she's never heard the term repression. You know, like, like it's kind of crazy. So uh, uh, I thought it would work well because, you know, I don't know if you've seen Breaking Bad, but Walt's a pretty angry guy and, and always is trying to get revenge or whatever. And so I thought it would work, but the book is a, t it's a disaster and, and it doesn't fit. I mean, it might be fine in some other context, but it doesn't really fit with Breaking Bad. So it's been, I don't know. I just, I think I missed the, we're ending with Nietzsche, which I think should be, that should work pretty well. So nice. that's my situation. Yeah. I actually read, because as we were just discussing before we started recording, my Swedish is kind of limited. And so the bookstore here, whenever I go to buy a book, they have an English section, but it's pretty small because I'm in Swedish. And so my book choices, I end up choosing books that maybe I wouldn't normally buy. Right. Um, so I just recently read Brian Cranston's like memoir. Um, oh. And he talks, but it was actually really good. And he talks about um, all his different characters and kind of what was going on in his personal life while he was like acting these different characters. It was really good, actually. I think it was called A Life in Parts. Oh, well, I should have probably taught that. That would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> so what did he, what did, what do you have to have anything interesting to say about Breaking Bad or no? Well, it's really good in that, um, well, he, he definitely used it to like, if there was things he would have done differently in the show or that he wanted to like play a scene in a different way or thought that Walt wouldn't have done something away. He definitely used the book to explain that. Okay. <laughs> he was like, no, I would have done it this way. <laughs> Um, so that was part of it. But um, yeah, he just talked a lot about, yeah, the, like having to get into that emotional space and like have sympathy and empathy for this person. And how did somebody kind of devolve into this kind of monster character and like how different it was? Because usually you want to like empathize with the main character and they have a saving grace or some sort of light at the end of the tunnel or something. But that this character really like ended up having no redeeming qualities at the end. <laughs> it's like, it's right. just I like, mean, it's, it's but, like <laughs> I know, I know. It's an interesting series in that way. Like I like it, but it's one of the few series I know where there's almost no one likable in it. You know, like even, even Walter Jr.'s kind of unlikable. Skyler's certainly unlikable. I mean, my students say Jesse's likable, and I think that's true, but it's basically, and I, I, it's an interesting contrast with The Wire, right? Like The Wire shows people that also kill people and do bad things, but almost everyone's likable in The Wire. So it's a real, it's a real contrast. Like, how do you make a series that's successful and people are into it when there's no one likable? And I think they that's one of the things I like most about it was that it makes you, I mean, the, the thing that kind of worries me is I think like when he says, you know, that famous line where he says, I am the danger, I am the one who knocks. My students all clapped when I played that clip in class. And I thought, uh, you're not really supposed to, that's not, you're not supposed to celebrate that so much. So I fear that like people like it through identifying with him as this, his, his extreme violence and, and, like when he becomes horrible, I think people, they like that. So, or at least my students, maybe they're exceptional. Well, I can also say having moved away from the States and then now like seeing American programming after like watching Swedish programming most of the time, 
it is does really glorify that though like everybody's like this like character that's like you know doing something bad badass or like you know getting one over on people and there's always like a ton of violence and America's definitely like wed to the idea of like the guy who like works his way up and like makes all this money and has all this power out of coming out of you know a bad situation or something like that it seems to be a trope that's like over and over again right I think you're right that trope is the dominant trope right like that and 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 that's why I think that the American audiences celebrate it, right? Like they just, they, they kind of eat it up. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure what the commentary that the show is making on that is really. Like, it, 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 I guess it's about the way that he uh, can't, like he, well, I mean, one thing that's interesting is, and I should have maybe taught Freud the whole time because it's really about his, self, his self-destruction, right? Like he, everything he does like even my, my favorite part of the show is the the way he leaves the book of poems of Walt Whitman poems that's written by that the guy that he has Jesse kill Gail Bedecker and and it's the thing that gives him away to Hank and he would have like he would have gotten away with it if he didn't just leave that poem book of poems in his bathroom and so I just and, and then earlier in this I think it's season four he Hank's like ready to give up the case totally. And Walt's like, I don't think you've really gotten the right guy. And so it's like a totally self-destructive move. So I like the way that the unconscious is so present in the series, and especially in the figure of Walt. You know, like he's he's desperate to give himself away, I think. So I, I kind of like that. I, I, I think that's pretty good about it. Yeah, I think so. And they're all such great actors. The guy who plays Gus and the uncle and Jesse, they're all such great actors. And they're, I think they're great characters, even if they're despicable. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> I mean, right. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito, it's kind of sad when Gus dies because he's such a he's such a great actor, I think. Mm-hmm. You're right. Like all the actors are good. I think the women aren't as good. I mean, that's another thing that's kind of unfortunate about the series, right? Like, And again, I think Wire has some really good women characters in contrast but the, the women characters just they don't Skylar I mean, Skylar and her gets, sister are so annoying yeah the sister <laughs> the sister's terrible yeah she's a bad actor and and the and the part is bad so it's just it's just there's no there's nothing good I mean I guess the little ba- baby girl does a good job <laughs> like she's that's the best female role of the, the infant the <laughs> I'm not sure why they have and her. And the girl, what was that girl who's also a model who plays like the B in, in number 23 or something? Jesse's girlfriend that overdoses. She's she's a good actress too. Usually. Oh yeah, she's really good. And then they killed her off. Yeah. yeah I, I think her name was Jane in the series. Yeah, right. She, she was really good. And then she's gone. I mean, I thought, I mean, again, to show how despicable Walt is because he's there, he could have saved her and he didn't. But yeah, she, she's Jessica Jones, I think too. And Yeah. Series. Brian, uh, Brian Cranston wrote about that too. He said that was the hardest scene in the whole show to film because he uh, saw like his daughter's, his real life daughter's like face when the girl was like passing away when that happened. And it made him like really upset and like brought up all this emotion of like, I don't know. I don't know how, why he imagined that at that moment. He, I don't think he does either. It's just like, that's who he saw. And yeah. he just like let her die. And then he was like horrified at himself. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. Like the, that the scene actually brought up his own like psychic trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that's what acting should do. I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, a good I, actor. Yeah. He's always good. I loved him and Malcolm in the middle. I never saw that. It's good. I, I used to, when I was in grad school, I waited tables at Outback Steakhouse. So it was like every day when before I had to go to work, that's the show that was kind of on whatever TV stations back in the days of TV stations. Um, that was whatever show was on. So I'd always watch like Malcolm in the Middle when I was getting ready for work. Um, and I always loved Hal. He was so good. And then one day I went to work. I worked on South Beach at the Outback Steakhouse on South Beach um, in Miami. And so sometimes there would be like celebrities or famous people there because it's South Beach. And one day I went to work and uh, I can't remember his name now. The guy who plays Malcolm, he was he was in the restaurant and I had to wait on him. And it was like, I I was just watching you on TV. And he actually dressed the same too. Like he had like little knee high socks and like Converse shoes and like shorts. 
Frankie Muniz was his name. And uh, he was actually there. And it was so weird after seeing him on TV every day. It was like, it's like such a weird effect. They like pop out of the screen of life at you. I was like, wow. what is that really happening? <laughs> he was a very good tipper. He left me like a hundred dollar oh. tip. Oh, wow. Like a $40 really... meal. Yeah. <laughs> so really I nice. like him. Yeah, That's something to remember. You judge people on how they tip. <laughs> Holy. I think I can... that's a good way to judge people. Really. Yeah. That's he was great. a good tipper. We like him. Yeah. Uh, do you think like it, it's interesting that that doesn't happen that can't happen anymore right like you just watch a tv show because it's on like that on the time when you're getting ready for work yeah that's quite that's gone that's yeah. gone yeah yeah because otherwise i don't think i would have been like i'm gonna watch malcolm in the middle when i was like 27 years old you know <laughs> no i i, I mean i, I wonder it. I mean, it, it certainly like interrupts the ability to be surprised by something right like i think we we have less surprise in our like you know like the phone i think takes away a lot of surprise like even the way you don't like you never get i was just thinking about this like whenever any i don't know if how this is true in sweden but whenever anyone knocks on our door it's almost a hundred percent a package and right. so it's just like UPS or the <laughs> post service like knocking on the door and then so you go to the door and no one's there because the so I, I don't, I can't even tell you the last time someone's just come to our door and we live in a condo. So we live like, right, we have very proximate neighbors, but there's no, yeah, it's just, and when I was a kid, I don't know, someone came to our door probably like two times a day. It was just a normal thing. So it seems to me like that's of a piece with this, like you don't see just a show coming on, you know, the, all these like random surprise events are taken out of your existence, I think. No, and everything is so curated. Yeah, everybody's just like curating like what they're listening to, what they're watching, what they're taking. And you can really tell, like I can really tell when I talk to my dad, for example, he talks to me about things that like he's curating in his life and he's watching. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know anything about that because I am curating co completely different things in my life, in my life right, bubble. Right. <laughs> right, like the connective tissue of our existence is gone. I think that's, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, maybe... maybe maybe it's for certain people maybe for certain people it's sports still like that have that kind of like thing but that's not everyone of course and then but so I, I think it's 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 just fascinating to me because just like 30 years ago it was so different you know it was so there was so much that connected people to so much like common you know events or culture yeah because even the news and the news events is like depending on what media you consume it's like a totally different spin on what's happening with different events and everything. Right. I guess, I mean, maybe, maybe the times like people still like go to the times as a, I mean, not obviously there's a lot of people that never <laughs> read the times, but I think the Times still has a somewhat of a function or the Washington post as like kind of a, that's where people, at least I, I, I know a lot of people that do like, we're just talking around the halls. I'll say, Oh, do you see that Paul Krugman piece in the Times? And people will generally say, Oh, yeah, I saw that. So that's kind of an area. But it's funny that internet was, it had this idea that it would bring people together. And the, the effect is exactly the opposite. No, Although this, I mean, maybe that's not true, Vanessa, because <laughs> we wouldn't, like, I wouldn't be able to talk to you in Sweden if it wasn't for that. I so, know, we hang out all the time over the internet. <laughs> so there is this other this other dimension to it and i like i i love podcasts like i think they're the best thing ever you know and I, so and that would be that wouldn't that didn't exist prior to prior to this yeah know? we have to talk about your podcast too with ryan because i like i told you the whole pandemic i've been listening to that like i don't walk so much here now that i've moved but when i was in stockholm i would like take this walk on the water up and back like every morning just like get out of the house and listen to you guys what, what are we talking on why theory this week you know <laughs> so i feel like i've been hanging out with you guys the whole pandemic how did you I guys know. start that podcast was it his idea or no what? it was my idea so he he had um i knew it was like four years ago so it was quite a while ago and mm -hmm. i didn't know anything about how to do a podcast or anything but i just but I knew he did. So I, I just, I called him. I'm like, Hey, would you like to do something? So he came up with the name Y theory. Uh, I said, let's just do a theory pot, you know? And he said, okay. And so 
we started, then we just started doing it. So I think we're, I think our next episode is going to be the hundredth episode. So we do it every two weeks and it just, you know, kind of started out like we thought, I mean, our idea was like a hundred people will listen to it, whatever. <laughs> yeah, everybody talks about it on Instagram and stuff. I know you're not on Instagram, but people like quote you and write about it and all on my favorite this time, blah, 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 blah. And you like sound clips from it. You guys yeah, are super popular. That's strange to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to think about that. Uh, but I mean, we, we've always said that if we if it's not fun, we'll just stop doing it. Like we try not to pay attention to how many people listen or anything. Um, and we just want to, because we, we do try to do requests, though, like when people write in and ask us to do things. It's funny because I try to have a pretty, you have to, I know you, you know this too. Like if you put things out there, you have to have a pretty thick skin about Things like yes, I've learned that. <laughs> I mean, I read some of these things to Hillary, and she's like, "How can you keep doing it when you we've like, I put a this YouTube video on. I think it was on like comedy or something, and someone wrote, I, "How can anyone be so fucking stupid?" That was the that was the response, and Hillary just I just read it to Hillary, and I'm like, eh, they didn't like it so much. <laughs> like, People like, are mean on the you, internet. <laughs> yeah, like how can you keep going? And I'm like, you just have to kind of blow it off, but. What's interesting is we get like the episode that we did on Deleuze, which was pretty critical, that that received the most just like you didn't bother to read Anti-Oedipus when you talked about, you know, like all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I felt like saying like, okay, I, I read it. I just disagree. Yeah, I really like that episode. So yeah. <laughs> I liked that too, but yeah, that didn't, it didn't. I mean, it's funny, like a lot of people liked it who are of our persuasion but there was i i think a lot of people that like deleuze just listened because it had deleuze in the title and then, and then were dissatisfied how dare you criticize the master i know <laughs> the master yeah. who's critical of masters but wants to get a master <laughs> yeah yeah so and yeah so that but that but it's been it's i know i know you know i mean it's fun to have a like, like someone to talk to and and about interesting like oh, this is my whole social life <laughs> I, I know like Ryan and I, we probably, so what we do is we will have like one call for a couple hours during the, during the week and kind of prep what we're going to talk about. And then we, and then we do on, we record almost always on a Saturday. So, and then it's, it, you know, it can, hopefully we could keep it under an hour and 15. I mean, that's kind of our goal to keep it under an hour and 15 minutes. A couple of times it's gotten out of hand and we've had to like, manipulated into a part one and a part two like we did Joan Kopchak's book read my desire and that mm -hmm. that that we thought well, we'll just do it in one episode and then we all of a sudden we're at like two and a half hours <laughs> like we, we're gonna have to make it three episodes so we had that, that kind of went overboard but uh you know we both owe a lot to Joan so it was it was that was fun to do no, she's great. And it's great that you have someone that you can like talk through these things with and like really feedback on one another. And you guys really listen to each other. You don't have to like agree 100%. It gives like a good back and forth. It's like, and you both sound like you're like really listening and learning and thinking. And it's yeah, nice, especially during the the pandemic, there was like a period, I, a lot of people I know died. And, and uh, uh, there was a period where I just couldn't like focus on reading very well. Like my, my attention span was just shot. So I got like all my theory influx from you guys. So it was very oh, that's helpful. Great. That's great. That's great. I I have to say I, I I have this I I I'm equally a consumer as a producer of podcasts. So yeah, that's uh, I love your podcast. I love you know. There's a lot that I I listen to most in French and German just to kind of keep up with my language stuff. And there's some good philosophy. Uh, French and German podcasts. So that's, that's a very good idea. Maybe yeah. I'll have to find some Swedish podcasts. Yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, what, well, who look. would be the who would be the most well known Swedish philosopher? I don't. I can't even think of one. Philosopher. Yeah, it's hard to <laughs> say. I really don't know. <laughs> I mean, in Denmark, obviously, it'd be it'd be Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard. But, yeah. yeah, Sweden. I don't know. I'll have to ask Carl. Yeah, I know they're, they're big on uh, Linné because Linné did all these like, uh, that's not philosophy, it was like natural sciences, did all like right. the ordering of the kingdoms and stuff. Right, right. So right. he's like all over the place. And the town that I live in, 
is uh, where Astrid Lindgren was born. So, so she's like the person who made Pippi Longstocking. Right. And so those kinds of children's storybooks. So there's like a lot of stuff of her around. Maybe well, maybe somebody well, around that. But neither of those are, are philosophers. Right. <laughs> I'm I trying mean, to think of hmm, famous Swedes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't the, the Nobel Prize comes from Sweden, though? So mm. that's, yeah, and where we lived in Stockholm, it was like right up the street from our house. It was like literally like two blocks away. It was, that was pretty cool to be near that, that building. That is cool. Yeah. yeah. But not that we got to go, but <laughs> we could look when people were going. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But that, but so that's a, you know, we talked about the disadvantages of internet. Like that seems like a real advantage, don't you think? Like the, the, it is true. The connectivity of information as well and people in that way. So it's like every human invention. This is just what humans do. There's like you have an idea and you're like, this is gonna be amazing for this. And then it and then humans also find all the ways it can be terrible and exploited, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> just kind of goes with us, apparently. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the problem is that I think we get more of a thrill out of the the destructive aspect of the invention than the the productive one. That's the problem. Yeah, that seems to go with more gusto. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like it's fine, like putting out a podcast, as you know, it's kind of it's fun, but it, it's nothing compared to like somebody writing. I can't believe this. How fucking stupid this is, right? Like, there's a real thrill in that that's probably outstrips any making of a podcast so now every not every episode but most episodes i get people who are like oh that was really helpful and then people who are really mean <laughs> even i don't even you get, talk to that uh, person i'm like i don't know like <laughs> everyone i talk to is pretty pretty good i think anyway you know if you don't like him you can just like go and skip to the next one you know you don't I, have to listen what, to I, them I, I you don't have to buy their book I know. That's what I always think. I always think like, why? I can't even imagine like putting the thumbs down on the, like, like how, what would ever compels me to, to, to put, yeah. I don't like it. I, I just, yeah, just I skip it. If you don't like it, you don't have to, you don't have to keep listening to it. If someone's making you mad, you right. can just skip. That's your right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Not I, hard. I, I do it all the time. I do it all the time too. Right. <laughs> Sometimes I want to skip episodes of Fly Theory. <laughs> but just skip this one. Yeah. I also have to say, even though I think we talked about, I think this book was coming out um, maybe last time we talked or the time before. I don't know. But one of the times you were promoting this book. But now I have read the book, oh. um, which I hadn't read it because I don't think it had come out when we, when we talked about it last. This book That's is true. so good, Todd. Oh, Vanessa, thank you. Yeah, so I'm really excited to read your new one too. Then, um, yeah, we'll see. You know, the the uh, Bloomsbury's having the board meeting on my book on racism today, so we'll see. It could be I could be getting an email that says it's rejected by the board. Right as we, that'll be a nice culmination to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> hopefully, it won't be. It's no, be, I don't uh, think so. Hopefully, it'll be in Mari. It's in, I mean, if it comes out with them, it'll be in Mari Rudy's. She has a series of psychoanalysis series with them so. mm, nice yeah no i think this whole aspect that psychoanalysts are bringing to the conversation of like it the enjoyment of these things and the suffering um and the enjoyment in the suffering is uh really important like isabel miller i keep saying her name miller because it's m-l-i-l-l m-i-l-l-a-r but it's miller. no i say it wrong too it's it's miller it's miller i heard her say her name finally and i was like oh i've been saying that wrong but isabel miller um and her book on ai and now she's doing one on patai politics and she's what? talking she calls it patai politics and it's the politics of suffering so going off of like necropolitics to patai politics and uh she's she's changing the question of artificial intelligence of are they intelligent or not to do they enjoy or do they suffer which i think is a really good that's really twist. good yeah you know <laughs> it's kind of like it's like bentham right like about animals right like the question is not are they intelligent but do they suffer and i think it's interesting that bentham didn't say do they enjoy their suffering right like that would be the 
that's the real question. What do you remember what seminar it is where Lacan says, is there a perhaps there is a jouissance of the plant? I don't I know. I do not remember that. He does say that though. So that's a kind of that's an interesting. I mean, it's along the same sort of lines. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's important. And I think it's important in the race conversation, like you said, and in the politics conversation. Because yeah, everybody I, is getting off on this stuff. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. I mean, I, I guess it took, did it take like the Trump victory and, and, and presidency to make it totally? It's funny because, you know, Slavoj has that book for They Know Not What They Do. And it's called Enjoy. The subtitle is Enjoyment as a Political Factor. But it, it's a great, it's a good book on Hegel, but it's not really a book about enjoyment as a political factor, you know? So I, I, I it's like that idea was kind of in the air, but I, I think it's not just now people are really kind of running with it more than they did before. And seeing it in vivo. Right, right. That's it. Seeing that's, how it I think plays that's, out. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I think you could argue that, that, People should have seen it in Mussolini and Franco and, and Hitler, but maybe there wasn't yet the, I mean, Lacan really hadn't, like he was really in embryo at that point. So maybe that, like he, like it's only when he fully develops the notion of jouissance that that becomes like the ability to translate that to Paul, because don't you think Freud, like he, he kind of gets that, but he, he doesn't really, theorize it in the way that Lacan does. I don't mm -mm. Yeah. So no, maybe absolutely. it took that. Yeah. You agree with that? Yeah. 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 It's, you know, an interesting thing too, that, um, our, that Ryan and I, the one thing that we get the most critique for is from analysts who think that we uh, are saying, talking about things we don't have a right to talk about. Now, what's interesting about that, Vanessa, is there's never, and I don't know what to make of this, there's never been a single female analyst that's made that critique, and they've all been males. So I don't know, I don't know, I mean, I've noticed that, but I don't know what to make of it. So it's just interesting, because I'm, you know, I'm friends with you, I'm friends with Manya, I'm friends with Stephanie Swales, Molly Rothenberg, a lot of female analysts. I've never heard them say to me, you really are, don't have a right to talk about this. Like, I, of course, have total respect for the clinic. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't try to intervene on clinical questions. Right. But, but there's this kind of like, uh, among certain analysts, there's kind of a sense that like I'm speaking about something I shouldn't be speaking of, which is, I just find it interesting the, the, the gender breakdown on that. Tell yeah. And actually, think. if you want to dispute that, because there, so I recently joined uh, GCAS, this Global Center for Advanced Studies, which is like based in Ireland, but they do like, oh, you've done, we've worked with them, you've done classes with them. So, yeah. um, and we, we did like a podcast to kind of promote their certificate in psychoanalysis program. And it was all women analysts, actually in the podcast, and Creston. And literally, we, we talked about all the different classes we're teaching. And literally, all of us mentioned your work. <laughs> <laughs> we're like well Tom McGowan says this and I was like oh I'm using Tom McGowan too and they're like oh I'm using Tom McGowan too so I wanted to tell you that like super props thank you well that's very nice of you that makes, <laughs> you have to listen to that episode good. so you can hear all these ladies dishing about you and how great you are yeah. is that where is that it's on the it's on the GCAS website yeah and, and it's in this podcast I'll send you the link Okay, good. I'd like to look at that. I'd like, I mean, obviously I'll just, I'll go for a nice Baja little walk. And... It's great. Cool. <laughs> now, but you see that at every conference too, it always comes up this divide of like the theory versus the clinic. And I think, you know, sometimes I, when things that I think make sense theoretically, then when I see things in the clinic, sometimes I'm like, mm, it's different. Sometimes it is different, but like, it doesn't mean you can't like, run with the theory and see where it goes you know and sometimes right. it's and sometimes vice versa it's like they're both great and they're both thinking and they both can feed off of each other you know right i think that's really true like i often i'll get an idea from hearing a clinician talk that i wouldn't have ever gotten from like just like slavoy or joan or some pure theorist so i think that's totally true and it, it, i think you're right there's a kind of dialectical back and forth that can go on yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I just, it's, I don't, I don't have the, 
I mean, I wouldn't mind doing it. I just don't have the kind of comportment that could possibly work as it. I know how Slavoj likes to make fun of himself. Like, would you ever come to someone like me as an analyst? Yeah, if you want me as an analyst, there's something wrong with you. Right. right. <laughs> uh, but I just, I just, I couldn't, like, I'm just, I'm too self-absorbed to be an analyst. Like, I just couldn't <laughs> listen to other people for that long. I think it would just. It I do it six or seven hours a day. Yeah, that's a lot of work. I think. Yeah, but I'm very good at it. And it's also just something that I'm good at naturally from basically dealing with my mother. <laughs> <laughs> let me listen to you and completely yeah. annihilate myself and just let you project and just like help you feedback with that. It's like something I was trained for since like birth. <laughs> well, it's good to be able to use the thing that damaged you as a way to, you know. Like, then it was a certain point when I was in my 20s and I'm like, people do this for a living. <laughs> I could make money doing this. That's a good thing. <laughs> are your, are your, are almost all of your um, cases online now? Or Everything's online now. Everything is, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. So it works they... for me. That's what allowed me to be able to move to a little town and have a nice big house instead of being in that little apartment. So you did that before the pandemic? Yeah, I did. It just worked out that way. I worked from, from moving from the States to Sweden. And then I just kept some people from the States that I tried to refer everyone to other people in New York. And some people left and went to those people and then came back and were like, can I just please keep talking to you? And some people were just like, no, I'm just going to stick with you. And I was like, okay. So I had like a small practice. And then um, I just finally got settled in Sweden because it took a couple of years to get my residency permit like I don't know maybe a year before the pandemic started and so I was just starting to get settled there and I was like okay actually the summer before in summer of 2019 I was like let me look for an office around here and I found like the perfect office and it was so close to my house and it was beautiful and I loved it and then something was just like not sitting right with me I was like don't sign the lease don't sign the lease (laughs) and then I didn't and then right after I didn't Um, My dad was in the hospital and I was in the States for like six weeks while he was in the hospital. And then when I got back from that, yeah, it was like the holidays and then the pandemic. And I'm so glad that I did not sign that lease. Yeah, that's really good. (laughs) So do you don't, you haven't yet. I know we were talking before the podcast about you learning Swedish. You haven't done a patient in Swedish yet, have you? No, that's never going to happen. Never? You think never? I don't think so. Mm -mm. Yeah. I'm just going to stick with English. I think it would be, I think I had a French analyst um, and I just felt like so much was getting lost in the kind of translation. Like she spoke English, but it wasn't her native language. And I just felt like she was missing a lot of things that I was saying and references and stuff. And I just feel like, yeah, that I, I think that just not growing up in this culture, there would just be so many things that I miss that it's better for people to talk to a native speaker if they can, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, that's interesting. Like, I because I know that when you're speaking a different language, I I assume your symptoms actually present differently, right? Like they that you, you're, I mean, you, even your unconscious because your unconscious relates to the language. It is structured that way. So it, that would be, I mean, I would imagine that trying to analyze someone out of your native language is is. I mean, I guess there are people that could do it that are really that have really like immersed themselves in the new language. Yeah, exactly. Like, like my husband, Carl, he's, he's pretty fluent in English, like almost as well as Swedish, you know? Um, and like, he so loves he American culture and stuff, American movies. So he's like immersed himself. So I think like, if he was an analyst, he could do an analysis in English. Right. Um, but it is interesting how much you learn about a culture from the language. Like, like I said, I, was, I'm, I feel like I'm learning so much about Swedish people from, um, from their language. It's like the way that the, the way that they phrase things and like right. it's like you can you can see the psyche in the language, you know? Yeah, that's really that's fascinating, I think, because like when I learned German, I have to say that like the like even in the word, the structure of the sentences, I could see like this, like you have to just your, your thinking has to be different or else you couldn't make any you, you just couldn't. It would take you way too long to make a sentence. Right. And I think every language must be like that. There must mm-hmm. be this like structure of the language that forces your mind to think differently. Yeah, it's, it's also really true. Cool. I, don't know about, I don't know about you, but do you have it? My personality totally changes when I'm speaking either like, different in French, different in German, and then different in English. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I think like my husband Carl is really different when he speaks English or or Swedish. So like when he speaks English, it's much more like American. Like he's like happier, go luckier, and like you know sillier, you know. And then when he speaks right. Swedish, he's like much more like serious, and I don't know. So, so, <laughs> so you could you could you could write a whole book on Ingmar Bergman in the Swedish language. <laughs> like those films are the product of the language. Right? Those films are so Swedish. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. <laughs> great book on that on Bergman, by the way. Yeah, I know. It's coming up. I'm, I'm working on it right now because it's due in February. So I've just like got everybody's pieces and I read through I actually read Walter's final final edits today. So I'm really excited yeah. about that. His, I Mac. like his piece a lot. Yeah, Mac, my, 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 yeah, I like his thing a lot. He was very happy to contribute. I mean. Yeah, he's great. He's going to be on the podcast again soon, too. He just, he just messaged me. He's got more things percolating he wants to talk about. I know. You know what he's going to do? He wants to, I think he's going to write a book on it, on ethics and environment. So that'll, that should be pretty interesting. He wrote me a little, he sent me a little pricey on that. Yeah, he's great. I love him. Yeah, he's he's crazy. He was a crazy guy to have a as a as a as a dissertation director, and and he's been my lifelong friend, and he's read every book that I've written. So it's like above and beyond what a person should do. So, yeah, he's like a, he, my dad died soon after I met him, and so he was a kind. He would hate me to say this, but he was kind of surrogate. Uh, father figure to me <laughs> but he, he never wants to be that he wants to be the eternal son so, so no i could totally see him like that yeah he was he was he was very much one so, so nice. did you um you don't it doesn't it doesn't bother you listening to people that for that long of a time no, no. <laughs> i'm i like it i guess it's kind of meditative i think i think it's a totally different headspace for me like uh like i can't do anything else like in between sessions or sometimes i want to like answer an email in between sessions or, or like my dad will call not answer but i'm just like in a different headspace it's just like better if i just focus on analysis for those hours and do everything else like do you at short, other times do you, do you punctuate the session i don't cut the session i give them their full 45 minutes uh, i cut it so, like somewhere at the end like around between you know, 42 minutes and 50 minutes someone will cut it off but around that time but I feel like you can punctuate without actually kicking them out especially I on see. the internet that would be right I'd be like we're done quick <laughs> <laughs> you know just like hang up on them they wouldn't even have to leave the room you know yeah I know that would be interesting you know I had a uh, <laughs> that could be really upsetting I think. it could be <laughs> you know you might have an analysis and kill themselves or something like you know I had a uh I had a student of mine, really good student. We were talking after class and then I just had to go immediately. Like I, I looked at my watch and, and he said, he goes, I thought that you were punctuating our discussion and that, that, that what I said had some real, I'm like, no, 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 I just had to go. Like, so it's interesting. Like once you get that notion of the quilting point or the short session or the punctuation, it can really cause you to real to read a lot of things incorrectly i think you know that are not that just are completely i mean that can be helpful if you're like reading it through your own unconscious because the reason why you're attached to the thing obviously can be revelatory but it can also make you think that the other person is seeing something in your unconscious that they're just not seeing it all you know it's like i like that idea of like you just hang up at some point and the person's like what, wait, what happened what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. I, I have to say, I, I think that's, it's interesting that that's the, that's the thing that got Lacan in trouble, you know, like, because I think in a way, I understand why people were upset by it. And especially, I think he probably abused it himself, but, but I do think that there, there's something really rad. I really kind of like that idea just theoretically. I think it's really, I, and I always thought it'd be great to teach a class like that, you know, where you're, you're just teaching along you're like okay we're stopped we'll just stop you know like just like really punctuate every class that you teach but we're so regulated just i mean this is lacan's critique of the analytic session we're so regulated by the time you know like the bell we don't have a bell but whatever the time goes to that and then you stop you know so i always thought that there's something really could be gained in teaching by that idea 
Yeah, no, I love that idea. And I love, it's the thing too. It's like with the theory and the practice again, because I love it theoretically and I think it works really well. And I think when it works, it works really well. Like when I have my French Lacanian analyst and sometimes she cut the session, sometimes it literally feels like someone just like bapped you in the head, you know, you're just like doing <laughs> like, whoa, what just happened? Um, it can be really stunning and amazing. But then of course, being my hysteric self, I ended up like, like if I was avoiding something, or I wanted to go, or I was tired or something. I just learned to like say things in a way where I just go, Bleh! and then it would make her go, oh, let's cut there, you know? And I yeah. slowly I totally started like manipulating the sessions by doing that. And then I would see myself doing it, but of course I'm doing it anyway. I guess you're supposed to talk about that, but <laughs> you want them to catch you doing it. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> Don't That's you see really what I'm doing? Think, <laughs> wouldn't the same thing happen in a classroom, right? Like the students would say like, oh, we know what will trigger the cut. So we're going to try to get out of class early or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it just shows, like we talked about the way everything has this, like internet has this, like that's again, the same way thing, like the short, you're, you're able to manipulate the short session into some, into a way of like getting out of the revelation of the psyche rather than enabling it. Exactly. This is what people do. Or the analysts, of course, could be like, oh, we're going to cut there because I have 10 more people in my waiting room and I want to make, you know, this much more money than if I right. sat with you for an hour. <laughs> right, right, right. There's always I mean, that. <laughs> that seems to me the big, the biggest problem with it, right? That, that it, it's really kind of ripe for a monetary abuse, really. Yeah. yeah, and also putting the power still on the side of the analyst. You know, like even if it makes sense, it's also still like making the analyst the authority of like they they saw something that and they know when to cut the session instead of the person seeing it. Like that could be interesting in itself too, is like letting the analysis come to a point where they're like, I think we'll stop there. And that's actually what I do a lot of times at the end of the session. People have learned that I kind of let them go at a moment in, in the end where they, so they can leave thinking about it. And sometimes a lot of people actually will stop their own session and be like, okay, we'll stop there. And I think that's kind of good, you know? I, I think that's much more radical than Lacan's idea, actually, Vanessa. I think you should write. I don't know if anyone's ever written that, but you should write that up. That's really great. I, I really like that, that the punctuation, because then if the whole point is to dissolve the subject supposed to know, that's how you dissolve the subject. I mean, the, 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 the short session really, as long as it goes on, it sustains that subject supposed to know, I think. So, so you're right, right. Exactly. I love idea. Yeah, I love yeah, exactly. That. And I let them know, like somewhere along the way, like I, I usually, I guess, pretty early on, like when it, sometimes people will want to like talk about billing or something like logistics oriented, either like before the session or at the end of the session, um, as like it's something separate from the analysis. And I usually sometimes sometime in the beginning when they do that, I tell them like, OK, but when we end the analytic sessions, I just tell them I like to leave you at a place where you can go on thinking about, you know, what's been going on instead of it feeling like we're chit-chatting at the end or something like that. And when they get into that idea and then can like leave and then write about it, a lot of people are creative and do something with it or think about it in their day. Then they, then they like that. They realize like, this is really generative for me. Yeah. That's a, that I, I, I just, cause I, I have always felt that thing about the, about the short session that it does kind of give this power to the analyst which you're trying to dissolve. So I really, I, I like that so much, the way this way of, of, of still sustaining the idea of the cut and yet not making it, you know, the, 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 the subject's supposed to know. Anyway, yeah, I think that's really, that seems really in incredible actually, yeah. I, I mean, I wonder how, it, you, couldn't, you couldn't do it in teaching obviously because the students would want to end the class before it even started. <laughs> hey, teacher, I think it's time to go. <laughs> I know, hey, no, it's, I think you've already said enough, man. That's what they would say to me. <laughs> I, I, my, especially this semester, I think, my, this Breaking Bad uh, debacle. But I, yeah, but you shouldn't feel bad because sometimes you can learn a lot for things like that. Like, oh, this didn't fit exactly how I thought it would, but then it can bring up all this new stuff that you hadn't thought of. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Like, I, I, I realized, well, a couple of things that I realized is I'm never going to ever teach Peter Singer again. So that's one good thing. But you're right. Like I just see when you see how things don't really work, you can kind of. But the, you know what's funny, then Vanessa, I like I I my favorite thing about teaching is that 
to get a few laughs, right? Like, like that's what I'm striving for. And and I, by the way, guy, there was an interview of me in the in the student newspaper, and the student asked me, they're like, "What's your goal as a teacher?" I'm like, "Well, just like if the students are entertained and laughing in the whole class, then I'm." And Hillary read that. And she's like, "What the hell were you doing? You had this great chance to like." proselytize about psychoanalysis, about dialectics, about Hegel, and you just totally you just blew it. You made yourself seem like a fool. So anyway. Yeah, you're but fun. That, <laughs> but that is my right. That's my goal is to make it, make it, you know, keep them laughing, right? And so I'm teaching a class, a big class on Hitchcock, and it's like funny from beginning to end. It's great. And they're like laughing. They're like, I'll tell you something we did in that class yesterday, and you'll think it's really amazing. So, I mean, their reaction, not what I did. But the Breaking Bad class, for some reason, I'm just not funny at all. It's terrible. It's like, I'm just like, I start the class. I, I don't think of any jokes. They say things. I just respond. So it's just, it's. I don't know what happened to me. But anyway, so here's what happened in Hitchcock class. Maybe I'm, you're I'm, working you're, too much, Dad. <laughs> Maybe no, you're tired. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, anyway, so here's the here's what happened. So so we're, we're watching the 1956 version of Man Who Knew Too Much with Doris Day. Uh, where she sings K Sarah Sarah to the little boy, right? And so she's this is the she sings it twice, once to rescue him at the end, once in the beginning to put him to bed. And I said, and we wrote a nice essay, I think it's by Michelle Chion on the on the the vocal bond between mother and child and how it's perverse. So they had that in the background. And I said, I said, isn't it a little weird that the that she's singing this song to him at bed and then and then like dancing with him kind of closely. Uh, and, and I said, and they're like, no, 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 nothing. It's just, it's just, and this guy raises his hand, he goes, it's just a nice song that a mother sings your child. Why do you have to make it into something? And then I, so I said, okay, I just had had it. So I'm like, all right, I thought it doesn't be funny. So I said, how many of you have had contact with your parent in the last week, text or phone? 100 like 110 students in the class 100% raise their hand. I said when I was in college in the 1980s late 1980s you know how many people would have raised their hand when that question was asked and they're like no 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 how many I go zero zero and and if someone had they would be so embarrassed they wouldn't have raised their hand so I said so that's I said and then I said who in the world has a little pet song that they sing a favorite song with their mother and then like 10 people raise their hand. They're like, I have a song that I like with my mother that's our, our song together. <laughs> and I said, I said, you know what happens? What I think happens in that, sh in, in Man Who Knew Much? First, they sing the song together. Then they dance. Then Doris Day says, let's hop into bed together. And, and they were all totally, they didn't think it was funny. They were totally <laughs> outraged. They're like, how can you make a joke about incest? That's terrible that you're disgusting. And then I thought, okay, it's fine. Like you can, you can have a song you share with your mother. That's not disgusting, but I make a little joke about incest and that's disgusting. So I don't know. I thought that was such a fascinating kind of revelatory exchange about the state of the generation today and the relationship to the parents, right? And compared to what it was when we were, I mean, you're younger than me, but when we were younger, you know? Totally. I never even thought of that. That also, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it? It was definitely it? when I was in like my first couple of years of college. I think there was like two years I didn't even see my parents. It was right. just like I talked to them once in a while, but like I don't know, every couple of months or something. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, I I just noticed it too. This other thing on uh, like when we have students visit the university as prospective students, everyone has their parents along. When I went, I went to a couple schools, maybe I don't know three. My I would never have brought my, my, my mom would have said, can I come? I'd be like, are you, what are you? She wouldn't even have said it because she'd have thought there's no way I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes. So it's just, it's very strange to me the way there, there's this like, I think part of it is I think that maybe it's that people remain like kids longer today. You know that they their their kids. I think it's, it has to do with a lot of different things, but that seems like that's part of it. Yeah, for sure. My parents didn't help me with college or anything at all. <laughs> I, I know, I know. And, 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 nope. But yeah, here in Sweden, like, my husband said that the median age for kids to move out, the average age is like twenty six. 
I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that just seems like, wow. I just. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I was already moved out. I, my, my dad died. So I moved back with my mom for a couple months to help her out. But even that, I was like, eh, 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 this is a little, I can't really do it. So yeah, I just, I find that just really, really, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, I guess people say that, you know, there used to be these extended families where people live together for long periods of time, but I don't know. I feel like there's something lost in like, not like, 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 you know, we, we were at the, um, we were at, where were we? We were at, we were in Mystic, Connecticut and we were on the beach in this summer and we saw these, these birds and, and the, and the, the mother brought food for the child and then it just like pushed the child away like get away and I thought I thought we need a little bit more of that like pushing the child away for us you know yeah I don't know. we let them fall like you're not gonna let them fall fall you know they're not gonna end up like homeless or something just like but like give them a little shove and see how they do and then like if they're really having a problem then like swoop in but yeah. you don't need to coddle yeah. them so much yeah I don't know I mean I yeah maybe it's a parenting error you know rather than it's something I and mean, i think we, the phone has like to do this like kinds of communication yeah you know like there's a little tie that never gets cut that's right that's right it's like a law umbilical cord you I can contact right. your parent anytime or your kids for that matter and they can't right. just like not be available i know like our one son when he was out doing something like whatever he wasn't supposed to be out and he was out or we didn't know where hillary tracked his phone like she could track wow. she, so like he says like oh i'm so she's like no you're not you're like and I, I just never even thought i mean whatever it's probably good parenting but i just never would have thought to do that you know like i just whatever like can actually see the gps on their phone me. where they are yeah i think yeah. people do that with their boyfriends and girlfriends too yeah that's like, like where are you why aren't you home yet from whatever yeah, yeah. Hopefully I'm, so glad. Out, like, I'm so glad I'm older for all of this. <laughs> I know that would have been a nightmare. I also think the nightmare would be that, uh, like the app, like Tinder or whatever, or, or the other one. Uh, I forgot the other one's called. Uh, but I would, I would just, I, I, I don't think I could have tolerated that. Like it would be so, I would feel so, like when they came to meet me, I would be certain that they would be totally disappointed. That it would just be, I would be so traumatized by that. I don't know about you, but I just, I don't. <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah, I've never been on a dating app or anything. Yeah. I'm glad I just missed that whole thing. I've always yeah, we both, yeah, met we people kinda... in person, places that like yeah. things I like to do. There's other people there that like to do those things too. Yeah. yeah. So old fashioned. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is old, but I, I yeah, I think that that's going to be, I mean, I think it becomes almost impossible though, right? Like, I think you got to go to the, the app or whatever. So. It's funny, like I see, when I see students, I saw a couple holding hands on campus yesterday and it, it's so rare, but I was so happy to see it. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. It's like a couple holding hands. It's like a real, it's like real, <laughs> like a real romantic contact on a university. It's a, so I wonder, what about the, what about sex? Do you think that, that like, uh, you think kids in university and high school are having sex more? I think they're waiting later to have sex. I think so too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unless they're on like grinder or something, then they can have, right. then that can facilitate sex even easier. Right. right. <laughs> but I think in general, at least from my friends that have kids, um, and from my husband's daughter, it's like they don't seem to leave their house as much, even before the right. pandemic. You know, they stay home more, and they're like their whole lives are kind of virtual. A lot of it um they don't go out as much and like my friend like I have a friend that lives in Thailand and her son's like home playing video games all the time and she's like god when I was his age I was like out disappearing staying out all night going to clubs but like I don't think that's happening as much for a lot yeah. for a lot of people they're just like home yeah. and interacting on the computer either video games or YouTube or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever right so you can you get this ersatz interaction and so you don't feel the need for the actual. I yeah, you I, feel like you're socializing, but really you're just right, in I've your room. Kind of I know that I, though, I, I do have to say that I thought during the pandemic, the best thing my, my boys were able to 
to play video games and they while playing they chatted with all their friends in mm-hmm. a way that, like you know like we would have gone out and played actual football but they couldn't because it was the pandemic so i thought that was actually pretty great like that i was really happy to see them and you know you would hear them like screaming at each other and it was kind of it was nice actually so i thought they still got some kind of social interaction even if it wasn't actual flesh on flesh you know we're able to yeah exactly this is my whole social interaction and i feel like i still have friends (laughs) i know i know i mean you know it's not so much i think there were you know think about it like i think freud had tons of epistolary really close friends and so what's the difference between people that you have friends like this is even more than that but like email or what you know like yeah they used to just write letters yeah right right so i i i i one Hillary hates it, but I love email for that reason. Like, I think it's like just epistolary, but, but it's, it's instant, you know? And so, and, and I have, I have a friend from graduate school where we've, we take about two weeks each time and we write, we've written each other constantly since graduate school. It's just, and it's really, you know, like I, 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 I can't wait to get my email from him. And then it's kind of fun to write the, you know, it's funny. Cause I was reading, I was reading Hegel's letters and he's constantly apologizing to people for not responding back to them, which I I felt some sympathy for. But but he and he but he always says this is the same thing every time. He's like, I so much enjoy sitting down to write a letter that I don't want to just dash it off hurriedly. I want to just take my time and you know have a little cup of port and write the letter. So I I always think of that and I think like that's a kind of a nice thing. And I think that's a there, there's a certainly a genuine friendship in that kind of relationship yeah absolutely and I, I love things like that when you see things like that it, it makes you realize that some things really don't change like oh right. i haven't gotten back to you fast enough <laughs> hazel is saying this <laughs> i know i know i thought that was really funny that he he was i mean he was obviously pretty it was it, most of this happens once he's gotten the, the job in berlin so he's like really famous and he's teaching all the time and so I can just imagine, like he's totally got too much stuff going on. And he's like, oh, I just want to write back a little letter. And so, yeah, it's nice to see that that doesn't, hasn't really changed. Cute. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Todd. I know that you're very busy. Well, Vanessa, I really, it was such so great to talk to you as always. It's, it's so really fun. Cool. And we'll see you. Oh, yes. In January, you're going to do your pack. I'll talk yeah. about bodily gory things and Hitchcock. Perfect. Okay. And Mary White will be in the same one talking about Polanski. She's going to talk about Polanski's apartment trilogy, she says. Like Tenon and Repulsion and Repulsion. Uh, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, that'll be great. So maybe I'll maybe I'll do another a trilogy of Hitchcock too. So we'll kind of make a match up. That'll be cool. Okay. Yeah. Like maybe what would be a good trilogy? Like uh psycho birds for sure and then what on one side or the other maybe i'll do uh vertigo psycho birds that'd be pretty yeah whatever you want todd okay sounds good you you do whatever (laughs) you want to do okay i'll send you a little title (laughs) okay (laughs) all right great thanks vanessa great to see you bye Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Professor Todd McGowan. For more, be sure to check out his books and his academia.edu page. That's vermont.academia.edu forward slash Todd McGowan. And join us on Sunday, January 23rd as he presents as part of the Morbid Anatomy series on psychoanalysis, art, and the occult. Todd will be presenting The Psychic Violence of Alfred Hitchcock, looking at three late masterpieces, Vertigo, Psycho, and The Birds, alongside Mary Wilde, who will be presenting on Roman Polanski's apartment trilogy, Repulsion, Rosemary's Baby, and The Tenant. But first, join us this Sunday, December 19th, for Mitch Horowitz and Carl Abrahamson. Events start at 2 o'clock New York City time.
and are all online via Zoom. Visit psychartcult.org for more information or go directly to morbidanatomy.org and look at their What's On section for links to events. Also, check out my previous discussions with Todd McGowan, Rendering Unconscious Podcast, Episode 75, as well as Episode 39 and Episode 14. As well, you can check out my episodes with Mary Wilde, Rendering Unconscious number 158, Rendering Unconscious 68, and episode 49. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. And now, these boots just got a brand new pair from a recent collaboration I did with Pete Murphy called Conceive Ourselves, available at Highbrow Lowlife's Bandcamp page. Just visit highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com. Enjoy. These boots are made for walking. Just got a brand new pair. These boots are made for walking. Just got a brand new pair. These boots are made for walking. Just got a brand new pair. These boots are made for walking. Just got a brand new pair. However, one of these days, these boots will drug the psyche of us all. Drug the psyche of us all. Drug the psyche of us all. These boots are made for walking. Just got a brand new pair. These boots are made for walking. Just got a brand new pair. These boots are made for walking. Just got a brand new pair. These boots are made for walking. Just got a brand new pair. However, one of these days, these boots will drug you. One of these days, these boots will drug you. One of these days, these boots will drug you. One of these days, these boots will drug you. Drug you. Drug. You.